Okay, everybody. Hello. Welcome to your very favorite Bronze Age Spider-Man podcast. Here comes the Spider-Cast. I'm your co-host, Michael, and as always, I'm joined by... Joshua Mervell. And today we're going to be looking at Spidey comics from May of 1984. That's right. And this is the beginning of a new era. Not only are we getting a new logo designed by Josh, but we're also beginning the the era of the alien black costume, right? Right. So I don't know about you, but I'm excited. Okay, and as usual, we have our 32 episode in a row co-host, G.I. <laughs> Jolie. Just here representing the year of the rat. <laughs> <laughs> and G.I. Jolie, Hi. do you have the honors of uh, introducing our other special guest this week? Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay, so um, this is a person who... Uh, we, we never got to get on camera, I don't think. Maybe one time. It was like one a one-time time. Yep. deal. I remember, yeah. And it was real quick, and it was in front of uh, the Comic Vault table, but it's a friend that we have all the way from Chicago. Windy. I almost said sunny. That's Philadelphia. Uh, <laughs> all the way from windy old Chicago. Uh, drum roll. <laughs> I can roll my tongue. Uh, Mike DeVivo. Hello, hello. What's up, guys? How is everybody? It's good to see you guys. Uh, I have very, very good memories of us being at C2E2 years ago, uh, talking about comics over dinner after a full night and just basically bonding with you guys on so many different things and having uh, the same kind of passion and excitement about the medium, uh, you know, and the way that we talked, how, how we talked with our entire bodies about things. So I'm really excited to be here, guys. Thank you for having me on. You know, that's true. And uh, I have to thank G.I. Jolie for doing most of the networking because I'm pretty quiet when, when I go to these conventions because I've got my head stuck in a comic box, like the long boxes. So G.I. <laughs> Jolie did most of the talking. So we can probably thank her for uh, making friends with you. You're welcome. But also, <laughs> I also have a very fond... Me- I also have this the same but not the exact same fond memory that of that dinner where you say us but we couldn't tear the mics away from each other they were it was comics central with those two i think i i I sat there with dave lasso making comments and being we were we me and dave lasso were the social butterflies while you guys did all the comic book talking that's right. But maybe, it's hard. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, maybe. because like in Windsor, I mean, there are a lot mm-hmm. of comic fans, but it's really hard to find people, like you said, that are on the kind of the same page about everything. Yeah, yeah. Not to get too off topic, but, you know, I grew up uh, a young kid. You know, some some kids, their dad teaches them about shaving and, you know, automobiles. Um, you know, I grew up with a dad who taught me about comic books as a kid and why it was important to, to you know, admire a Neil Adams book. And, you know, he put a comic book in front of me and he was like, you know, this is the first time you know, Wolverine was ever in a comic and it was an incredible Hulk. How about that kid? Like those were the types of things he showed me. So from an early age, I remember being, you know, not even a teenager, maybe seven or eight. And the first comic books I bought were the Batman versus Predator series and like the Defenders. Uh, and it was kind of love at first sight ever since then. So uh, w- did you grow up being a Spider-Man fan then? So I did read Spider-Man as a kid um, in the 80s. There were select books that I read, but I didn't specifically read um, this whole entire three book run that you had me on. Um, I've looked at the first book. Obviously, it's got such a familiar cover and I know I've read it uh, a long time ago, but I didn't really read any of the team up stuff. And I know very little about Black Cat. So it was cool to be able to read these three books. Nice. Okay, so uh, yeah, so basically, as everyone knows, this is uh, this. So we're we're covering May 1984, and this is when Spider-Man finally got his infamous and famous black costume. Um, we're we're going to be talking about this more next week in our Secret Wars episode. But just to one thing that people kind of forget is that basically what happened is at the end of Amazing Spider-Man 252, Spider-Man. Uh, was in Central Park and this gigantic thingamabob alien thing appeared there and Spider-Man went into it and it transported him to the Beyonders planet. We didn't know that at that point, but he disappeared. We didn't know where he went. All the Marvel superheroes, except for Daredevil, basically uh, their comic ended the same way that month. They all disappeared and then the next month they all showed showed up. But 
they went out of their way to not talk about what happened because Secret Wars had not begun yet. So I believe a week or two before this issue came out, Secret Wars number one came out, but we still didn't find out about Spider-Man's black costume. He was still wearing his classic red and blue one. It wasn't until Secret Wars number eight that he finally got the black costume and we discovered how he gets it and what it actually is and all that stuff. But as of this issue, 252, as well as the other two, we have no idea how he got it, what it is or what's going on. So it's a big mystery. So I'm going to quickly summarize this. So basically, uh, we touch on the fact that the superheroes have all been missing. Spider-Man shows up. It's kind of weird because he's got Dr. Kurt Connors uh, under his arm, who's uh, the lizard, as everybody knows. He brings the Dr. Kurt Connors home. He goes home. He's got his costume. He, we're, we're finding out little clues like the fact that the spider costume is able to absorb his uh, his phone and his and his keys into the costume. It's able to change into street clothes, you know, without without uh, there being any visible change there. We touch in, we touch base with Black Cat, right? Because she was on this idiotic quest to get superpowers <laughs> from all the different uh, superheroes in in New York, uh, and and then uh, you know Spider Man. Uh, this is where it gets weird. He, he basically goes out because he can't fall asleep. He ends up running into two kids, teenagers, who are having a spat. And he's like, I'm going to show you the joys of life. And so he brings them on this adventure, swinging around New York City, seeing the joys of New York City. And then pretty much the story ends and we get a nice little pinup at the end uh, of Spider-Man kind of, you know, leaping in between a bunch of skyscrapers. And that's pretty much it. Um, yeah. And before, yeah. And I just want to say quickly, this issue was plotted by Roger Stern, who had just departed the book, but it was dialogued by Tom DeFalco, and it was drawn by the new regular artist Ron Friends and inked by Brett Breeding. And so uh, we'll start off with you, Mike, since you're our guest host. Uh, what was your impression of this story? Yeah, I really enjoyed this issue. Um, I really liked uh, where they put Spider-Man in the world uh, right when he jumped in, kind of through his through his perspective of where he's at with things. Um, I liked a lot of the jokes. I thought some of the jokes were really funny. I specifically liked the little bit that you mentioned earlier when uh, Peter's symbiote costume turns into a fanny pack. I thought that was really uh, really appreciative and, and funny. Um, and then I really enjoyed the art in this. Um, the art in this reminds me of, and I don't know the artist, but reminds me of the uh, Iron Man issues for Demon in a Bottle um, and how expressive that that art was of Tony's face, um, how you could see so much in his reactions. I feel a lot of that happens in these books with Spider-Man and Peter. Um, and I also really, really love how clean looking the aesthetic of the black Spider-Man suit is, um, how that's something that just has this beautiful silhouette um, and it's lit with those nice blue lights. Uh, so that is my take on that. I will say, you know what, now that I'm thinking about it, it is a little jarring seeing Peter in the Spider-Man suit, the black costume, being so positive, even though I know, you know, that they're going to get there, just having that foresight to know that that's where the character's going. It's a little weird seeing him in the black costume being so quippy and funny and kind of like, you know, rah-rah uh, about stuff. Um, but I also do want to say, aside from the costume just being, you know, super iconic, the silhouette looking beautiful, it is cool to see Peter wearing black jeans and a black turtleneck. You don't see that very often, so I feel like that was a unique look for him at the time. Right, right, right. You know, yeah, I, I just got to say quickly, even as a kid, I had the Secret Wars toy of the black costume Spidey, and I loved it. I mean, a lot of costume redesigns, I'll kind of roll my eyes at, but I, I embraced this wholeheartedly when I was a kid. Uh, Josh, what's your take on the black costume first? Uh, yeah, I, well, I love the costume itself. I think it's so fun. And uh, the story as well is, is really great. Um, mm. uh, I love the idea of this, like, costume that's sentient and it's kind of like taking over his body and it slowly turns him into like almost like this evil or nasty version of himself and then right. eventually leading into uh, i think one of the most iconic uh spider-man villains now um so yeah it's really great and i'm really excited to uh read more of these comics right um i will say though i i i did like that you started to see um, kind of him being a little bit more snarky or maybe it's just me knowing that uh, he's going to kind of be a more like edgy sp version of Spider-Man, but he did seem a little bit more like snarky and, and witty than he normally does. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I, I'm not, I don't think it might not have been this issue, but I think he's talking to Robbie. Uh, yes. Uh, at one point and, uh, uh, he's kind of like snarking back to him a little bit too. And yeah. So, so it's, it's nice that, that, that they at least like knew that's the direction they wanted to go with this. And they started mm-hmm. to like slowly add in and have like small hints. Cause I think that, if you were a reader at the time and didn't, uh, or, or even today, and you didn't have that prior knowledge of knowing that the suit is going to slowly turn him into kind of like this jerky version of himself, mm-hmm. um, you wouldn't really notice it. But as somebody who who is familiar with the character and knows that now, you can slowly see that kind of change in him, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Yep. G.I. Julie, first, what's your take on the black costume, the design? Um, It's so much better. <laughs> Mm -hmm. um one it's probably from an artist standpoint easier to draw um because it's just one shade it's just it's clean also the idea that like you see him go back to that silly tree where he hid his clothes like a week (laughs) before he slipped into secret wars like um his the suit absorbs those kinds of things so now he doesn't have to like hide his he doesn't have to carry a backpack and hide it in a trash can in an alley. He just has to think about being um, in the suit, and it puts him in it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, from a utility standpoint, it gets a it gets check marks from me. Um, from a fashion standpoint, it gets check marks from me. Yeah, it just I just like it. It's just mm-hmm. it's super cute. <laughs> I don't, I don't know what else to say. Like, Now, did you notice a difference in the writing? Because this is now a new writer, Tom DeFalco. I mean, he has done a few issues of Marvel Team Up, but do you notice a difference in the writing from this, from uh, Roger Stern? Mm, yeah, his voice his voice is different. Peter right. sounds like 50 years older, mm-hmm. 50 years grumpier. He sounds like an old, like, retired librarian. Mm. Right. With uh, especially with like telling the kids like you don't know what you've got, kids. Yeah. You know, yeah. like th- yeah, this see, this city's this great. Is, like I felt like it I mean, I, I up until now it had been Roger Stern and John Romita Jr. and I love that. And I I don't think this is quite as good, but one thing I feel when reading this issue is that just this burst of energy, like there's something new going on, it feels exciting, you know, it's like an exciting read. However, I did think the structure of the story was weird in that you kind of, you, you build up the mystery of the costume, which is great. But then this whole ending thing with the kids, it's to me not really a story. It, it doesn't really feel like it, it just kind of ends. Uh, Mike DeVivo, what did you think about that? Yeah, I would, I would agree, Mike. I would say the same, the same thing, actually. I feel like the story, you know, you get your first beat with him and Connors, you know, you think that's probably going to be where the story heads, maybe some kind of uh, further, you know, issues with Connors fallout with his family or something along those lines. Connors is done for the rest of the day. Then you see, you know, Peter as Spider-Man, uh, you know, going through the city. He has the moment with those two kids, which is like kind of like his shared feel good moment for them. Uh, you know, gets back out there, and that's kind of the the issue as is. Um, I would have liked to see some, um, you know, some information with him and Black Cat for them to see each other and actually meet. We know they didn't get to do that; they actually missed each other, and we see that fleshed out later in the issues. Um, but I just feel like it, it was very disjointed, you know. Um, and one of the things I was thinking while I was reading this issue is, you know, us as comic book readers nowadays and, you know, these times, we don't really focus on the small things like, oh, Peter left his, you know, uh, Spider-Man costume in a nest with birds. And we have to hear why he left it up there. And the fact that the birds were in the, you know, the costume and his inner monologue, like those are things that could bog down a story nowadays that you could get away with back in the 80s. And it wouldn't be a big deal. See, like I love that stuff, like the, the little details of peter parker's life like the <laughs> fact that he has to go in and out of a bathroom light uh or a skylight to get to his apartment and like the fact that he has to store his clothes in like an alley somewhere or in a tree here i don't i don't mind that at all but did you uh i i know that you said you started reading comics sort of in the 90s but um what what's your impression of like the the style of dialogue and the thought balloons and the narration and this this type of comic yeah, I'd say, you know, th- this issue is pretty easy to follow. There was a lot of dialogue in this issue. I would say not so much dialogue, but word boxes, you know, um, 
I feel like these comics had a lot of exposition. So not just the exposition that you would see from the, you know, the word balloons of your characters, uh, they're on the page in panel, but also there was exposition exposition by the actual writers trying to, ex- to explain what happened three issues ago or to check out this issue. And it just, that can be a bit too much. Um, this one in particular though, I felt like was pretty smooth as far as a read goes and information is concerned. And I was pretty happy with how it ended. All right. Uh, Josh, do you have anything else to pick apart with this issue or? Um, not really. I, I, yeah, I, I kind of agree that the ending of the story is a little bit weak, but I, I have a feeling that with the context of, um, secret wars, maybe this ending story would be a little bit stronger because Mm -hmm. it feels like him appreciating that he's back in New York and he's back at home with his family and kind of like back into the pun intended swing of things. Right, uh, right. right. So, so like I, I, I get what they were going for, but I think it suffers because it comes before, uh, in release wise, it comes before Secret Wars, and mm-hmm. we don't. Besides him talking about like, look at you're in New York, you have so much opportunity. Right. It doesn't really feel like him appreciating it right. as much. So, like, I don't know. I, maybe it's a stretch for me to even say that. Like. I just assume that's what they were going for. Um, it's not that great, but eh, it's fine. Yeah, there's well, some weird foreshadowing happening, though. Like, after he puts them down sort of on a ledge, he th- th- it's he says, or in one of those uh, narrative boxes, the city is like any living creature. It has the potential for incredible good or horrible evil. Yeah, I noticed yeah. that. Yeah, I, I do have to say, I think him crumpling up the negatives for the for the pictures was a little melodramatic because to me that's a behind the scenes thing where they didn't want to talk about or show what happened in secret wars because it hasn't been published yet right and so i mean that's fine but but it's kind of like i also know that's the only reason you do that because if you had pictures of an alien world why would you just destroy them right no one's gonna believe it anyway yeah. I'll just destroy them that's kind of ridiculous but um i also want to say briefly i i actually think the last splash page is fairly weak as far as art goes but Mm. this cover which is also drawn it's by the same artist ron friends but it's inked by klaus johnson and i think it's much better uh what do you guys think of this cover yeah it's great i think it's i think it's good because it's an homage to the original right Right. so it's like so i it's i don't know maybe it's just hard to mess up or maybe it's just because it was like a copy up, but it, it really does work and, and it's it's great. It's kind of a nice uh like new reintroduction to this new side of Spider-Man. So it's fun. Yeah, I, I like the cover. Okay, so I definitely recommend this. I, I do lament the loss of Roger Stern, but whatever, all good things come to an end, and I think we're in safe hands, so I'm excited for more. Again, this is an energetic, exciting issue, and we know that there's, you know, cool twists and turns coming, so I recommend it. Uh, Mike, do you recommend this issue? Yeah, I do recommend this issue. Um, I thought the action was quick. Um, I thought it did what he needed to do for the story, and I thought it served uh, to set up further plot developments along the way in the issue, so I recommend it. Awesome. Okay, Josh, what about you? Yeah, I, I would definitely recommend this one. Um, it's a it's a fun little story. Not too plot-heavy, but there's some there's definitely some fun moments, and uh all in all pretty well-rounded issue right yeah julie yeah i mean (laughs) if you really were wondering where spider-man went this whole time but you Mm. know we're just like um not upset by getting sort of a lackluster (laughs) return yeah sure you can go ahead and read it all right okay so now we are gonna jump to Marvel team up number 141. And just for the record, according to uh, eyewitnesses at the time, this issue actually was published a week before Amazing Spider-Man. So this is the chronological first appearance of the black costume. Oh, interesting. Yes, that's my opening line on every first date. But anyway, Josh, you can take it from here. (laughs) (laughs) Is this like an unofficial first appearance? Well, chronologically 252 is the first appearance. Right. But if you if you were a, a hardcore collector, you could argue this is actually the first appearance of the black costume because it came out a week before. Yep. Huh. Well, uh, with this issue, we have uh, it's Marvel team ups with Spider Man and Daredevil. Um, mm. 
we are picking up where we left off last issue where there was a huge power outage and there was some uh some like looting going on and one of the pawn shop owners was shot uh when his store was getting looted and he was trying to protect his stuff so we're kind of picking it up here um where this guy has been arrested and he's being blamed for the murder of this pawn shop owner mm-hmm. and uh matt knows that he's innocent matt murdoch is his uh is his attorney and he knows he's, he's innocent so he's just trying to figure out who who the actual murderer is so he, he can uh prove his innocence so uh yeah, Daredevil and and Natasha are kind of Black Widow are kind of in this like weird relationship. They're not really dating. Dating, they're kind of hinting at the fact that there's some sort of, you know, romantic tension going on. So they've been working together to solve who this uh who the real killer is. And we see um Black Widow go to the pawn shop and it turns out that it's been bought by um this guy named Frank Arnold. Mm-hmm. and uh natasha thinks something weird is going on going on and at the same time daredevil is at the goons hideout and he's trying to get more information from them and he finds out that they don't know really anything that's going on we cut to kingpin who is in a giant blue diaper uh fighting some <laughs> fighting some goons when he hears the news of uh of this pawn shop owner's death no, no, no. Sorry, he he's upset because Daredevil is uh, still around while all the superhero other superheroes are gone, uh, missing, <laughs> which right. is like what's going on with Secret Wars. Right. Um. Yeah, and then we we catch up with Spider Man, and it's pretty much the same uh, uh, reintroduction of Spider Man as we see from Amazing. He pops up with Kirk Connors, drops him off, uh, grabs his stuff, and sees you know the bird's nest in his his clothes um so (laughs) i mean (laughs) i can't even i can't even remember what happens next so basically yeah so 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 basically the wrong person has been accused of this crime right and everyone thinks he's guilty because this guy happens to be a hooligan so like well he's done other crimes in the past he's probably guilty but he really isn't guilty but in the end it ends up being that the only reason he really gets off is because the kingpin makes a deal with daredevil right and it because it it turns out that the guy who bought the the pawn shop uh frank arnold he's the one who killed him uh he was drunk and uh and did it he didn't really mean to or at least he says he doesn't mean to and what uh king the the guy that the pawn shop owner used to work with kingpin and he used to like i'm assuming launder money through the pawn shop Mm -hmm. so when he died um he knew what kingpin knew what happened because he always knows and uh, like somehow his goons uh you know are in with these other goons that uh uh know the information of the pawn shop owner so uh daredevil makes a deal with kingpin that um he'll escort his kingpin's goons to go and kill frank in exchange for the gun that was used to kill the pawn shop owner so he can take it to court and use that as evidence to um uh uh, prove the innocence of the guy that's on trial right now Mm. yeah and yeah, yeah, that's when Spider-Man comes in and tries to like stop Daredevil and there's like this weird conflict and um Frank uh ends up not getting killed and Spider-Man kind of um kind of like shames uh, uh Daredevil a little bit and says like that's not really justice and um mm-hmm. there's a little bit of a, like a self-reflecting moment at the end and Spider-Man swings off. Yeah, but... that's the end. Yeah. No, you yeah. know what? Uh, I just got to quickly point out, this issue was plotted again by Tom DeFalco, but it was written by a guy named Jim um, Owsley, who ends up becoming the editor of Spider-Man at age 23. Wow. Yes, incredible. Uh, he ends up hiring Peter David, and basically his run of Spider-Man is my favorite of all time. He ends up getting tricked by Jim Shooter into firing Tom DeFalco, who was also his sort of boss as executive editor. Uh, he's so upset by this, he changes his name to Christopher Priest. 
<laughs> and so there's a huge backstory behind this, which we'll get into as these episodes what? go on. Yeah. But uh, so this, this is, is uh, more exciting than Marvel team up. I know. Is that? Yeah. But to be fair, uh, Mike DeVivo, if you listen to our podcast, one of our, the running gags is how much we despise Marvel team up. This one's actually pretty especially. good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This one, this one was surprisingly fun. Um, Despite being still pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, again, again, I think it's just because I'm so used to Marvel Team Up being so god awful that when there's at least something competent going on, I'm like, oh, is this good? Is this a good right. comic? Right. So I, I definitely <laughs> didn't hate this one uh, uh, like I normally do with Marvel Team Up. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that. Uh, honestly every time the kingpin shows up it's so much fun um that that i think is the best part of this comic when when i I joked about it before about kingpin being in a diaper but he's in this like uh karate (laughs) sumo thing yeah it's like a sumo wrestler type of thing um and he has his assistant there in this room and he says uh uh you may begin your report once the exercises begin. And mm-hmm. he and he like goes into a stance and he says, gentlemen, and all of these guys with like daggers and stabs and nunchucks start attacking him. And he takes them all down mm-hmm. as his assistant, the um, the arranger, mm-hmm. tells him, you know, and like briefs him on what's going on in New York. And it's so fun. It's so intense. He and he doesn't even really break a sweat. He takes them down so easily. He's so strong. He accidentally breaks one of these guys like hands. Yeah. And he just casually is like, oh, I'm so sorry that I, that I've hurt you. I didn't mean to shatter your wrist. <laughs> um, and he casually kind of just brushes it off like, uh, please pay this man double what he normally would make as he's, uh, you know, spending his time recovering from this injury and walks out like it's just he's so powerful mm-hmm. like not not just because he t- took down all of these guys all at once it's his his power uh that he holds over people and like his his wealth and his knowledge that he has of everything that's going on it's he's such a fun character and i love whenever he shows up right uh mike DeVivo, what did you think of this issue it's going to be funny because for me, my take is almost exactly the same as his. Uh, my my uh, most uh, enjoyable moment in this book was the Kingpin scene. Yeah, I've definitely seen it many times. Yep. Not only because of how it was uh, written, but also how it was drawn. The, the sequence when he's getting that information delivered to him in front of his lackeys and he's fighting them, um, it is drawn in such an iconic way. Um, I think about that scene and I and when we were reading it or when I was reading it, um, and I went back to, like, I'm pretty specifically sure they did this scene in uh, the Spider-Man animated series. I definitely know they did it later in the comic books. Obviously, they've repeated it in Daredevil. So um, if this is one of the first times you see that, for me, uh, it just shows you how impactful that character is on on media and how that that version of the character uh, is on media even today and it does enough to show you that he's a threat mentally and a physical threat to spider-man and anyone else in a matter of you know four or five panels um so i thought it was super effective the thing that i had an issue with in this issue is that it's called a marvel team up and i think we maybe see you know peter as spider-man and daredevil on the same page maybe twice uh, so I don't know, you know, how that's supposed to work. It just overall made it feel like a very pointless team up for a Marvel team up comic book, in my opinion. Yeah, right. it's it's so strange that for a title called Marvel team up, it has to always be Spider-Man. Well, there's like, been a I, few, remember? There's, yeah, remember the Hulk but, and... but it's always like reprints, right? Or like weird one offs. Yeah, it's, I'm, uh... it, like it just seems like it would be such a stronger book if they just focused on good characters, like stories right. with characters that make sense. You know what I mean? Right, like teaming right. up and their, their stories belong together. And every single issue of Marvel team up, it's Spider-Man is just dropped into somebody else's comic and it's, it right. never works. Right, right. If this was a Marvel team up and it was just Natasha with Daredevil and they went on a mission as a couple together, it makes more sense. Um, instead, you know, we're supposed to believe that somehow, Spider-Man and Daredevil teamed up even though they were doing their own things the entire time. 
I mean, everything Spider-Man related in this issue is Spider-Man doing the things that we already just saw him do the issue before. He finds his costume. He goes through the same panel issues of what he was doing. He then goes to the bugle. It's all the same stuff. So it just seems very, very pointless and needless. Was there a, a Marvel team-up with The Thing? Uh, maybe one of the very first specific ones uh, that I remember seeing back in the day? Oh, that was... That was, you mean Marvel 2-in-1. Okay, yeah, that book to me read way better as far as teamists are concerned. You know, from the jump on those books, it seems like the characters are attached at the hip or they're already together doing something, right? Um, there hasn't had, doesn't have to be any happy sense. So I like that. And then whereas, you know, we have in this book, you know, you don't know what's going on. There's three extra characters doing their own things. You're following and jumping around between those characters at times. And then, you know, Black Cat, I think, is, in, is Black Cat in this? I feel like she was mentioned as well in it, and I'm not 100% sure. Um, I, I don't think so in don't think this so. one, no. but honestly, I wouldn't be surprised either. Oh, yeah, maybe I'm getting confused. I thought maybe there was a panel with her, at least on one, but it doesn't look like it. But but overall, you know, my favorite part about the book was Kingpin. Um, I think followed by Daredevil. Um, I think one of the, the things that is kind of sad to me uh, is that, you know, the way Daredevil is written in this book uh, is the way that you uh, still see him now 40 years later, you know? Um, oh, I don't mind that. I don't know. Right, but I'm saying, you know, Daredevil himself, the way that he's written, it's very representative of the way we idealize him now. So, again, it's more a reflection on current books and not older books. But, yeah, that would be my, my take. Definitely Kingpin, a positive. Daredevil, a positive. Uh, G.I. Julie, what do you think of this issue? Oh, Hello? yeah. Still the same steaming <laughs> stack. <laughs> okay. So, you obviously didn't Super enjoy hot. it as, you didn't enjoy it as much as us. Oh, whoa so much so good um uh, I'm, I'm just trying to think of like parts that i parts that i liked and it's not coming easily i just mm -hmm. remember opening it and then just seeing like the big splash page of all the baddies being bad and i was like god mm. damn it i think i immediately texted you guys and was like i don't want to read this <laughs> yeah I don't want to do it. And then I, and then, and then Josh was like, but Kingpin in a diaper. <laughs> and then I went, I went back. I went back for that. I'm, I'm here for a gigantic man in, um, in his sauna costume. Is, right. does that count as athleisure wear in the 1980s? If you're okay. being athletic in it, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, as, as as athletic as Kingpin is, right. like I feel like he's got a lot of um, upper body strength, and maybe not doesn't do a lot of cardio, so he probably isn't terribly mm -hmm. fit. But he's like an enforcer type. Right. Well, they they even say in here that technically it's all muscle, which I have a hard time <laughs> believing. But anyway, uh, one big round muscle, right? <laughs> uh, let's Arm just day, every day. We'll, we'll just quickly talk about the art too. The art is by pencils by Greg LaRock and inks by Mike Esposito. It's I, I think it's fine. The storytelling's fine. The layouts mm. are definitely a lot more plain than the Ron Friends pencils and amazing. Uh, Mike, what did you think of the art in this one? You know, I'd say aside from the way the Kingpin uh, area is laid out, that fight specifically, and I thought the way that Daredevil was drawn, um, this issue is kind of messy for me. Um, there are moments in this issue where I cannot figure out what is going on in the panels um, based on just the sheer volume of characters and the way that the rest of the word balloons are sitting there. It's just very messy um, and pretty chaotic. It doesn't, as a reader, uh, let me easily look through with my eyes what I need to do as far as get the story across. I definitely was jumping around and getting confused at certain moments. Right. Okay. Uh, G.I. Julie, what did you think of the art? I agree. It looked mm -hmm. like a comic. It tasted like a comic. It was a comic. Mm. It was also just extremely flat, too. Yeah. Right, right, right. Like, I, I mean, plain. you can really notice how flat it is when you're comparing the same exact scene from this issue yes. to Amazing when uh, him and Kirk Connors jump through back through to Earth and mm. they're in Central Park. It's so extremely flat. There's no texture. There's no depth. There's no, like, you can't tell where they are even. Yeah, it's like, a good you, point. It was... It's the White Castle of the Spider-Man universe. Yeah, it's Flat it's very. It's mm -hmm. a really good point. Yeah, textureless. Yeah. And also, I gotta say that while I do like Jim Owsley's writing, 
the fact that they recreated the scene from Amazing word for word, what a waste of space. Yeah. Like, at least show a different perspective. Like, show maybe show the guy on the street watching. So, it's like, what's the point of just having the same scene? It was just a waste. But anyway. So, but yeah, it is fascinating to see the same scene drawn by different artists because then you can compare them more accurately, mm-hmm. right? But uh, I don't know. I mean, this issue, again, definitely above average. I didn't hate it, but it still wasn't great. But I give it a mild recommendation. Uh, Mike, what about you? I, You know, I, I have a hard time recommending it. Uh, aside from that, I'll recommend it based on the importance of that Kingpin scene, for sure. Um, just for posterity and, and history. Um, okay. But it's not an easy read. Uh, not something I would return to. Okay, and Josh? No, I don't think I would recommend it. Um, I, I, I just, I think that the first half of the book starts out a little bit stronger, and then when Spider-Man comes in, it, it honestly falls apart, like, completely. Okay. Like, I don't know. It, it, yeah, it's it's. I don't think it's a recommend for me. Uh, G.I. Jolie. Well, just in case anyone didn't think or didn't uh, get what I thought of it, um, I don't recommend it, <laughs> especially if you're looking for a Spider-Man book that doesn't appear as if he's shoehorned in and around mm-hmm. a Daredevil story. Right. Yeah, it's just bookended or like he's Daredevil is being flanked by Spider-Man who seems to be peering in on him. And it's just like, man, if you're looking for a Spider-Man story, this ain't it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. All right. So now we're going to move to Peter Parker, the spectacular Spider-Man number 90. Uh, Mike, are you still OK with summarizing this one quickly? Yeah, sure. Let me take a crack at it. So we open up with Felicia Hardy and a beautiful panel uh, flying them into the streets of New York uh, with a moon that has a face in it for some reason, uh, which I am not entirely sure <laughs> yeah, about. I didn't even notice that. Yeah, but we see her, you know, go through go through her trials and tribulations recently of trying to get superpowers to help Spider-Man. Um, you see her talk about how, you know, she failed him. She almost died uh, in their battles against, um, you know, uh, the Green Goblin. The battle against uh, Mr. Hyde, which was cool. The Mr. Hyde reference, you don't see that too often. Um, and we kind of see where she's going and she's talking about how she's gotten her powers. She's reflecting back on it. So you're going through her take. And surprise, surprise, Kingpin was responsible. So, yeah, she's having a crisis of conscience now. You know, she's in her head saying, I know I got these powers from Kingpin. Um, he did, though, kind of show me, you know, based on me getting the powers that he's going to need me one day for something. So, obviously, I have that now that I have to tell Spider-Man about. Not only do I have to tell him and reveal him that I find these powers out, but I should be honest with how I got them. So, we follow Black Cat as she's going through every aspect of Peter's life. She visits the Bugle without him being there asking for Peter, which is really strange and probably shouldn't have happened. She ends up going to his own home and runs into Aunt May. Black Cat's basically, at this point, stalking Peter Parker, trying to find him. And the issue ends with her arbitrarily running into him um, and finally having to uh, open up about what she may say, but they leave it for the next issue, possibly. Um, a couple of the other cool things that I wanted to mention is that they do focus on her power. She has a power. It looks like at one point she runs into some thugs and fights them. Um, There's power of bad luck. And it's interesting to see how the uh, writer deals with that power specifically in this book. I thought there were some fun ways it happened. Um, and then also, I thought it was very cool. She got to visit Vision and Wanda, and they have a bit of a relationship talk. Uh, about things, kind of talk to her about where the rest of the Avengers are, um, and it sets her kind of on her path after that. So I wanted to mention the Vision uh, shout out as well. I, I just got to actually quickly say, uh, I, I, when I was reading this issue, I actually skimmed over that Vision part because it had, I thought it had nothing to do with the story. It doesn't so, really. No, it, it's, it's pretty much just because they they realized that she didn't have literally anybody to talk to because everybody's not on this planet so they're like crap who 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 didn't make it into secret wars uh i guess these two fools here shove like you know shove these guys in the in the comics so she has somebody to talk to there is a moment earlier though too i forgot to mention where uh you do see felicia go into the apartment uh, just missing Peter from the first issue that we had spoken about. Um, and that is where she runs into Aunt May. And so you get to see that interaction between them. So I thought that was a good way to place the story overall into the world. So you know what Black Cat's doing as everyone else is doing their thing. Um, but that was, you know, that's very small um, as far as a positive there for me. Right. Uh, so yeah, G.I. Julie, what'd you think of this issue? 
Um, remember that one episode where like, oh man, it'd be really awesome if we just had, um, if we could just hear Black Cat's thoughts and feelings, if we just had like a dedicated comic for her as part mm-hmm. of this universe, it'd be cool if they just like focused on, um, on that. And we we're given that opportunity when you sent Spider-Man and literally everybody else off world and they took it and they wiped their asses with it because <laughs> <laughs> this is effing mm. terrible um hey they brought back the landlady at least because that was necessary oh yeah <laughs> oh god you know just all the mean bones in new york are in her body but like come on really this is it it's and it, it was it's still it was still like a three-page recap of all the dumb bullshit we mm. we read about her doing in the last five issues yeah right. like uh, like i, I want to know what what black cat does with her life i want to know like her story and how she lives her day-to-day but we can't even have that it still needs to be her obsessing over spider-man and mm-hmm. going around and messing just messing up his life mm-hmm. like he she's going to the daily bugle and screaming where's peter parker going to aunt may's where's peter parker i need to find peter like what are you doing <laughs> it's so dumb right are, are you kidding like you're gonna blow this for him like you're gonna of, blow his secret identity it just oh the types of oh and she does it on every occasion just in case anyone was wondering every single time it was very apparent but it for for somebody whose primary uh like one track mind is full of only thoughts of peter like you would think that this kind of behavior would like that the result of exposing who he is to people in real life you would think that that would occur to her but it doesn't because apparently Mm -hmm. Not only is she only preoccupied with becoming super powered in order to appease him, um, she's also dumb. So, well, I think she's a manic pixie dream superhero girl, right? Like she just only exists to help Spider Man be obsessed with Spider Man, but she really has no inner life, right? Yeah, I mean, other than being like this visual eye candy for boys to masturbate to in the middle of the night, like. For fuck's yeah. sake! Sorry, and just, like she, she so doesn't even have a relationship with him. No, like their 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 entire relationship is I want to swing across the city, and Peter going, yeah, let's go swing across the city, and then obviously they run into crime, they start fighting crime, like fighting crime. She almost gets hurt. Uh, Spider Man says, "I can't be with you because you're gonna die, and I can't be a superhero with you." Right. That, that's their entire... You can tell that this was not written by a woman. Yes. You know, like I, it's... And uh, you know, the thing is, I, I don't want to pick on Al Milgram, but he's notoriously disliked as an artist. I don't think his writing's great either. I don't know if you've noticed, but he's taken over from Bill Mantlo. I think this is his first issue. And okay. he did a run of the Hulk in between John Byrne and Peter David. And it is, in my opinion, unreadable. <laughs> and so we do we are stuck with him for the next 10 issues <laughs> uh it doesn't get any better i don't oh, hate his writing but i don't, also don't like it i don't like his art but as i've said before jim mooney's inks are so good that i it, it makes it bearable in my opinion mm-hmm. uh i i want to ask you uh mike what do you think of that last page with Spidey jumping down through the trees, do you like the way that there's no highlights in his costume, which is solid black, or do you like the blue? Oh no, it was it was so bad. Um, and apparently, you know, the leaves are as uh, the same color of fuchsia pink as the bark is on the tree. It was it was pretty messy, and I don't I don't know if the issue was um, the age of the the comic itself, so maybe or the way the colors were stuck to the page back then. But things felt so off color wise. I mean, black cats. Uh, face specifically was pigmented red. I mean, she looked like she was sunburned. Yeah, and this has not been recolored. This is the original colors. So yeah, um, I, I mean, Josh and Jolie. I don't know if you have anything else to say about the art. It's pretty much the same as it's been for thirty issues in a row. 
Yeah. Um, Yeah. There's really not much to say. It's, um, it's fine and works when it, when it's good. And then when mm. it's bad, it's almost awful. Yeah. I don't think the storytelling is bad. Yeah. Like I don't think he's a good artist, but in a way it's slightly more dynamic than the Greg LaRock pencils on spectacular. Like he's not as skilled an artist, but I think the layouts might be a little bit better. Yeah, maybe I can understand what's happening better, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, even like this, like it pay, like the second page, um, is also just like, why? What? Like, there's so much going on. It's so messy and all over the place, and it. You, you have pay- the hobgoblin in the foreground. Ah, uh, yes, yes. You've got like. Doc Ock and the owl in the background, their faces. You have Spider-Man like holding her limp body and then underneath Hobgoblin in between his legs, you have them like tackling each other. And then Mr. Hyde's over. Like there's just so much. It's like, why? What's happening where where we need to like see all of this? Mike, do you have any explanation for the the moon with the Kirby-esque face on it? That's really stood out to me. No, I didn't even I'm assuming that. it's Kingpin. I... Because he's the one that gave her the powers. And this is like the first issue we actually see her using her new powers that she got. Yeah. Because it, it was the previous issue where she went and got like superpowers because she wanted to be strong like Spider-Man. So that way he would accept her into his superhero life. Yeah, I think it is because also so, she mentions him by name, or the narrator mentions Kingpin by name. So that's probably Kingpin's face, and it's kind of ridiculous. If you see it later, it's in the panel where she says, "But still, the cold moon glares." The face is in there again. Oh, really? Okay. Really? It's so weird. It doesn't make any sense to me personally, but I guess the way you explained it, it could. But just his choice to put it in again later is just silly. What page? Like at the um, end when. It's page nine, the last panel. You can see an eye, a nose. Oh my God, yeah. yeah. That's right, that's right. I don't know, I don't, it's ridiculous, but at least he had the, the, he put in the effort to bring it back. I don't hate it. Yeah, honestly, every time that we see stuff like that happen, where um, we see these ghosted images of characters or Thanos, I don't know. Um, In these books, it's, it's always kind of, I think it is supposed to be like a representation of their inner thoughts. Because we always see Spider-Man flying around the city and uh, with the ghosted images of all the women he's wronged (laughs) in the sky. And much like this. So I think maybe, yeah, I think someone is right. It is. Was it Josh? It's Kingpin. Yeah. 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 I just thought maybe it was a Kirby reference or he had like a a tip of the hat to him because it just looks so much like something new gods. Like, yeah. Yeah. Also, I got to point out this page, uh, this page nine is actually a really good page, in my opinion. This opening panel with her jumping in front of the moon, then a big close up of her face, then pointed down fisheye lens of the city. And then the last page of her kind of leaping. It's actually a really well designed page, I think. Mm-hmm. Oh, so so I'll just say that I had this whole Al Milgram run, 90 to 100. I had it all as a kid, and I sold all of them. Then I bought a few of them back. I can see why I sold it, but I don't hate it. Like, again, I love the inking so much, it makes it readable to me. So, ooh, I'll give this a mild recommendation. Uh, Mike DeVivo, what, do you, what about you? I'm going to say based on how Black Cat was written in this issue and the fact that I feel like she didn't really go through anything specifically. Her character didn't change. I mean, we learned that she has new powers and she had the crisis of conscience with Peter. But as far as like how she was being portrayed, um, it just doesn't work for me. And I, 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 unfortunately, I'm going to have to disagree and not recommend it. Well, hey, we never said these comics were good. But anyway, um, <laughs> so yeah, Jolie, do you recommend this one? Um, oh my God, I'm so conflicted. I'm, and I'm sorry, my pacing is so, uh, it's, ugh, like, it's terrible. Um, I, I, okay, mostly because I want to recommend it because it, it wraps up the black cat thing for you if you need that wrapped up, but mm-hmm. does it? So no, I don't recommend it. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, I think. Yeah. So that's, we'll say no. Uh, 
you know what? There's a couple of real sexy shots of her that just gorgeously rendered. So yeah. if you, if you, for the black cat completist, go ahead and take a crack. All right. Joshua Mervell. Um, no, I don't think I do recommend it. I think that in the next <laughs> issue, uh, we're going to get a recap of what happened in this one. So I think that if you read, if you really want to know what happens in this one, read issue number 92 or 91, right. and maybe, uh, maybe it'll be better than this one. And you'll also find out what happens in this, in this issue. So. All right. So yeah, that wraps up the first yeah. episode covering the black costume era of Spider-Man. We want to give a big thank you to Mike DeVivo for joining us. Uh, yeah. May I do a shameless plug? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, please Tell do. us what you got coming up. Yeah. Okay, guys. So I stream on Twitch. Uh, I stream my schedule currently right now is Sundays, Mondays, and Wednesdays from 8 to 10 and Fridays from 7 to 10 or as long as I want. I'm a variety streamer. My name there is Sign and it is pronounced S underscore I underscore G underscore N. Stands for Shut-In Gamer Network. I am your Shut-In Gamer. I play, like I said, a variety of games on those days. On Friday specifically, we do a thing called Casual Couch Hangs where we have uh, people come on to the chat. We interact with you guys pretty high. I have a bunch of different entertainment things that I do for you guys on stream. We treat it like it's like a Saturday morning show or a Saturday afternoon show. Um, have some jokes, have some laughs and fun. And then one last thing is to tie it into Spider-Man. I will be getting a PS5 uh, and we will start streaming Miles Morales the day it drops on the 12th. So I'll have unboxings on that and you guys can find all information. I'm sure it'll be attached to uh, this podcast, but you guys can find the links in the bio. Uh, but yeah, join me there. Look up Shut In Gamer if you want to or sign on Twitch if you don't want to have the URL and I should pop up. My beautiful bearded face should be there for you guys. Right. Awesome. That's okay. great. All right. Okay. I'm to subscribe now. So yeah, I'd love to see you guys there. Obviously, you guys included in the uh, in the podcast right now. I'd love to see you guys show up if you have a Twitch. We can collab, see what's going on. But uh, much love and appreciation for you guys allowing me to be on. And we definitely would like to have you back on again in the future. So we'll definitely be uh, contacting you again. Yeah, and uh, when this pandemic, when they when they get the Russian cure or the Trump cure, we'll be sure to take it, and we'll be crossing the border again soon, and we can come visit you. And hey, yeah, either that'll work with the cure, you know, we can just do what Trump wants, which is you know the whole herd mentality here thing. Uh, guys, pray for me. I am in I am in the states, and I am in Chicago, doing the right thing uh, as I should be doing. So wearing a mask, keeping myself social distance, and uh, looking out for my friends and family. Well, maybe after November 3rd, there'll be a mass migration. So we'll see. Yeah. And we yeah. also want to thank G.I. Jolie again for joining us. Oh, no thanks necessary. <laughs> no, please. Thank you. <laughs> Just send Doritos. Courage, please. <laughs> And uh, Joshua Mervell, you can take it from here. Yeah, well, we also want to thank you guys for listening to the podcast. Uh, it really helps when you leave us a review over on Apple Podcasts. Or uh, if you prefer, you can drop us a line on Twitter at, at HCT Spidercast. Um, we, um, we're going to be posting uh, episodes pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts. So you can listen to it uh, anywhere you're, you know, you prefer. Uh, we want to keep that conversation going. So please keep in touch. That's right. And we're doing a chronological uh, review of every 80s Spider-Man comic. We just reviewed uh, the first appearance of the Black Costume. And next week, we will be doing a live episode reviewing Secret Wars 1 to 12. So be sure to join us. And until next Monday, this has been Here Comes the Spider Cast. All right, see you then. Ah!